Let's turn our attention to God's word together. Um, In a moment, we'll read our passage for today, and you can go ahead and be finding it in your Bible, or there should be a black Bible in the pew in front of you if you don't have one. We're in the book of Mark, chapter 6. So you can be finding Mark, chapter 6. It's not going to be projected today, um, so you'll want to follow along in your own Bible. We're going to look at another clip in Mark's sort of documentary of Jesus' life. Um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these are the first four books of the New Testament, and they're known as the Gospels. And they all, from different perspective, tell the story of Jesus' life while he was on earth. Mark's is the most concise and the most punchy. It's, it's brief clips and snippets. He uses the word immediately a lot. Like he just, It moves fast. Um, so we last week we saw a, a clip where Jesus healed a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years and could not find healing through any medical avenue. And then he raised a little girl from the dead who had died. And so we talked about that last week. And this clip comes fresh off the heels of that. This is sort of the next scene in Jesus's life as Mark is recording it. Now, there's much more that went on in Jesus's life than what we have recorded Uh, One of the writers of the gospel said that if they recorded everything, it would fill up all the books in all the world because he lived an amazing 33-ish years on this earth. Um, We're going to zoom in here and look at Mark chapter 6, verses 6 through, I mean, verses 1 through 6. Before we do that, though, let's pray again. And as I always like to remind you, this isn't a chance for you to rest your eyes while I pray, um, let's all pray together. And I want you to ask God, maybe it's the first time you've prayed all week because you've been busy or distracted, but just ask God to please speak to you through his word. Okay, let's bow together. Father, we do ask that you would please speak to us through your word. And I ask that you would please help me to serve your people well. Give me your words and your tone of voice and your body language and only what would serve these people well and honor you. I I trust you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. It's always a comfort to me. Okay, so you've been sitting for a little bit. I'm going to invite you to stand and it'll do two things. It'll get your blood circulating a little bit and maybe help wake you up a little bit. And it'll also be an expression of honor because this is not like any other book. This is God's word. And we read from Mark chapter six, verses one through six. By the way, don't be distracted if my translation is different than yours. Uh, there's multiple translations of the same original and it gives us, it just sort of gives a comprehensive idea of, of what the original language meant. So it's okay if your translation is a little different than mine, it'll give you two sort of angles of looking at it. So let's read Mark chapter 6, 1 through 6. He, referring to Jesus, went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary 
and the brother of James and Joses and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. Thank you. You may be seated. I want to present this passage to you under three headings to keep it organized and hopefully digestible. Those three headings are teaching, familiarity, and unbelief. So if you're a note-taking type of sermon listener, which I know some of you are, those are your three headings. Teaching, familiarity, and unbelief. So first, let's look at the teaching aspect of this passage, because I think that's very important. It begins and ends with Jesus' teaching. Those are the bookends to the passage. Verse 2, right after he went home to his hometown, and on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And then verse 6, and he went about among the villages teaching. I point this out to you because I want you to remember Jesus is a teacher. Christianity is about many things, and part of what it's about is teaching and learning. One bit of research I saw while preparing for this sermon said that Jesus is addressed with sort of a title 90 times in the Gospels. And 60 of those 90 times, he's called teacher. A huge part of Jesus' ministry was teaching and remains teaching. Now, outside, out in the world, apart from Christianity, and you know, if you didn't grow up in the church, um, the culture, apart from Christ, wants to view Jesus as a teacher, period. They want to believe that Jesus was a good moral teacher, that he taught some good lessons, but that he's not divine, that he's not the rightful Lord of our lives, and he's not the one way to salvation, the Savior. So when you're doing what's called apologetics and you're trying to basically reason people toward Christ out there, you have to do a lot of work to tell them, no, he couldn't just be a teacher because part of his teaching was that he was God and that people could worship him and uh, that he was the only way to salvation. So unless those things are true, he was a terrible teacher. So out in the world, what Christians need to proclaim often is that Jesus wasn't only a teacher. He was also the savior and the Lord. Now inside the church, often what I find is the opposite problem. People believe he's the Lord and the savior, but they don't tend to believe and practice that he's the teacher. So they want to acknowledge him as their Lord and they want to be saved by him, but they don't want to learn from him. And what I want to stress to you this morning is you have to learn from him because Yes, he is the Lord. He is the rightful Lord of everyone. And yes, he is the Savior. He is the one way to be forgiven from sins. He's the one way to be freed from condemnation, to be made right with God. But that's not all he is. He's also the teacher with the capital T. Sometimes I hear 
people say, you know, they don't read their Bibles, which is God's word, because they've, they kind of already know it. You know, they grew up in Sunday school. They know all those stories. They know all those lessons. You never already know it. This is this book. Jesus's teaching is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. You're always a pupil. You're never an expert on Jesus's teaching. Other people, this is probably what I hear more is, well, they don't say this, but kind of the notion is I don't need to know more than I know. I'm not an academic. I didn't do well in school. I don't like to read books. I don't like to study. I don't want to memorize. I'm, I know what I know. A childlike faith is enough, right? I don't need to know more than I know. And I would submit to you, you're wrong. You need to always be learning from Jesus Christ. That is a huge part of what it means to be a Christian. You, you are a subject to him as your Lord. You are saved by him as your Savior, but you're also a student of him. As a disciple. In a lot of more modern church movements, there was a push to move away from teaching and sermons to have more dialogue. So if we had moved that direction, I wouldn't be up here with the face mic. We would be sitting in a circle and we would be discussing. And there is a place for that. That is very valuable. But there's, there's also a place for just being taught, for just receiving for just being a student, for just hearing. You know, we, we don't want to press out the teaching aspect of Christianity. You know, music is good and important. But we can't have so much of it that it presses out our time to be taught and to learn. You know, I think sometimes what must it look like to somebody on the outside that doesn't know anything about Christianity to see us all walking around with a book and we go to church and we go to Sunday school and we sit and listen to someone teach. And then we go to a service and we sit and we listen to someone preach, which is, sounds a lot like teaching to somebody you know, on the outside. And many who are really dedicated will listen to podcasts or you know, sermons on the radio and they'll hear more, hear more teaching and they'll read more books. And you know, from the outside, it must seem like these are just the most studious intellectual people on earth they must just love to learn and read the fact is learning and reading all this is very central to what it means to be a christian now maybe you know reading not everybody in the world is literate but learning is central to what it means to be a christian learning from jesus you know some of us i think would be happy if we could edit the Great Commission to just be go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, period. And forget about the teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. It's so important. So I just want to ask you, are you learning? In your Christian walk these days, are you learning from Jesus? Are you a student of Jesus. What's the last lesson he has taught you? Maybe from a personal devotional time in the word or from a sermon or from a Sunday school class or from a house to house discussion or a book you've been listening to. Are you learning? Because if you can look back over the last, I would argue even several weeks and not see any growth in your learning from Jesus that you're probably missing a huge component of what is yours 
as a Christian. Now, I don't know if you realize, but um, learning, it's a very common aspect of our culture. I have on my phone there an app called Feedly. Has anybody ever heard of Feedly, the app? Okay, there's one. So this would just be an illustration for you, Rebecca. I'm glad you came this morning. It's, a, it's an app that you can get on your phone and you can subscribe to various blogs. Okay, now some of the older generations are like, what language is he speaking at this point? But there's, there's millions of blogs and, and they, you need an app like Feedly to, to subscribe to the ones you want because there's too much information out there. And there's many, many different types of blogs you can subscribe to and, and many of them are things to learn from. And some of the most popular, I actually looked it up, are basically trivia. There's one called Stuff You Should Know. It's just trivia, but people love it. And it's a popular podcast too. People love to learn that kind of stuff. There's books out there, self-help books, fly off the shelves. One of the classics, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. You know, people trying to make it in the business world will go and gobble up these books. And then there's some brilliant things you can learn from. There's uh, these things called TED Talks. I think it's technology, education, design. Um, Brilliant, brilliant talks there if you ever go to the website. But all of that pales in comparison to what we have in Jesus Christ. Trivia, tips and tricks, and even the most brilliant analysis on a TED Talk is all done from a creature point of view. Jesus teaches with authority. Jesus doesn't teach from a creature's point of view. He teaches from the creator's point of view. Actually, from the creator's point of view and the creature's point of view because he's God and man. So I'm not saying there's not value in these other avenues for learning. I enjoy basically all those things I listed I have benefited from, but nothing comes close to the teaching that we can receive from Jesus Christ. It's not trivia. It's transformation. It's not um, tips and tricks. It's, it's heart change is um well it's astonishing you know these people as they heard him look back in verse two and on the sabbath jesus began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were astonished they were astonished now i look out and i see heavy eyelids and i see not astonishment i'm not jesus okay (laughs) In case any of you were confused on that point, I'm glad to clear that up right now. That word astonished is two words. I love Greek, how they'll just, they'll take a word and a prefix or whatever, and they'll click them together and it makes an awesome word. It's the word for strike out, not in terms of baseball, but like to get knocked out and the word out. So like to get hit really hard, out. That's, that's what they felt as they heard Jesus preach. They were stunned. They were shocked. They were like smacked in the soul and out of their senses because of it. They were astonished at his teaching. And looking back at the context of the book of Mark, we see what's so astonishing about Jesus' teaching isn't his theatrical approach to it or his eloquence, but it was his authority. You see that all through the Gospels. That's what's so astonishing. Jesus teaches as an authority. No one can teach like Jesus can teach. 
You know, some of the, the very best things that are going on among us as a church right now are on this level of Jesus teaching and people learning. And not just learning head knowledge, but see, Jesus' teaching goes beyond the brain down to the heart. And some of the, the best, the most glorious things that the Lord is doing right now among us is he is, he is teaching those heart lessons to people and it's transforming people. It's not just giving them seven uh, habits to go and try to cultivate to be more effective. It's, it's rearranging the priorities in their hearts and removing selfishness and enabling obedience. Miraculous stuff. And I would argue that whatever your problem may be right now, the answer may not be a divine lightning bolt change of circumstances. It may be he's trying to teach you. It may be that you need to get back to the practice that maybe you used to do but got away from because of busyness of spending time in the word with him and allowing him to just teach you. Jesus is a teacher. Are you learning? Now, the second thing I want to point out to you is under the heading of familiarity. Look back at verses 2 through 4 again. And on the Sabbath, Jesus began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joses and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. Familiarity had a huge limiting effect on these people and their ability to be taught by Jesus. They saw him coming and he was a hometown boy coming back home and they already had him in their box as, okay, Jesus is a carpenter and a son and a brother. Those are the three things Jesus is. Period. And then when Jesus started to teach with the authority of God himself, they were blown away. And instead of belief, because of their familiarity with them, they took offense. How is this kid we saw grow up? He's a carpenter. There's his mom over there. There's his brothers. There's his sisters. Who does he think he is teaching with this kind of authority? And so they dismissed him and they rejected him and they took offense. They were indignant. They were angry. Now, we're in a different position because we've grown up, those of you who've grown up in the church, have grown up with the idea of Jesus being the Lord and the Savior. Not as much as being a carpenter and a son and a brother, although he was all those things too. But familiarity is equally dangerous to us. In fact, I would say it's one of the biggest dangers to you if you grew up in church. How many of you grew up in church? Like basically as long as you remember. A lot of us, I mean, we're in the Bible Belt, so it's a lot of us. This might be one of the biggest dangers you'll face is familiarity with Jesus. This was illustrated to me recently in a very beautiful way. Um, I know a young woman who recently came to Christ, brand new Christian, Um, She's, I believe, in her 30s. 
It's an amazing testimony, and I really hope that she'll share it with us all as a church one day, hopefully soon. But man, her faith is so raw and real because she's not coming from decades of familiarity with Jesus that has numbed her to the astonishing realities. She's coming in with fresh eyes. And so we talked recently and she was dealing with a, you know, a struggle like we all do. And, um, and I recommended to her Proverbs three, five, and six might be good because it had to do with seeking direction and Proverbs three, five, and six. I've mentioned a lot to you guys. It's always been important to me. It's inscribed on the watch that Meredith gave me when we were dating. It's, um, and I'm going to try to quote it and make a fool of myself and get it all wrong, but it's, um, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will direct your paths. So I recommended that she check that scripture out. And she said, okay, thank you. And then I saw her the next day, and she came in just like beaming. And she said, that scripture was so helpful to me. And then she quoted it verbatim just from her heart. Like you can tell it wasn't from her mind. Like even just then, I was having to dig around in my mind to find the words. It was in her heart. And she, you know, whereas I see that passage I'm so familiar with, and I think, you know, it's like a little bit of salt on your milk. I'll sprinkle some of this on. Maybe it'll make this pain a little bit more flavorful and I'll be able to handle it. Or it's like a greeting card, a a sentimentality that's nice and heartwarming, but then you close it and you go on about real life. But for her, it was transforming to her. To her, it was, I can trust in the Lord with all my heart. I don't have to lean on my own understanding. All I have to do is acknowledge him in all my ways. He'll make my path straight. This is awesome. And she just did it. She, she was new enough to the faith to think that you could actually just obey a scripture like that. Rather than dismiss it for all the reasons why you don't think you can. And my familiarity with just that passage limited my ability to believe it. I mean, how long has it been since you've been astonished? By Jesus' teaching. If it's been a while, I would argue that it's not because his teaching is any less astonishing. It might be that you've grown so familiar and put Jesus in your little box, whatever it may be, that you don't allow it to get into your heart. You don't allow it to be real. You don't allow you don't allow yourself to feel the hard edges of some of the things that he says. You treat it like that greeting card sentimental thing and not God's word teaching for you specifically. Are you so familiar with Jesus that you no longer believe him? Now, this is really dangerous because of how it relates to the third heading, unbelief. I think familiarity can breed unbelief. This is what happened to these people anyway. We'll read five and six. And Jesus could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. No big deal. He couldn't do any, anything big, so he just healed some people. Not, not a big deal. By the way, one of the other gospels doesn't say he could do, do no mighty work. It says he would do no mighty work. You know, all through the gospels, Jesus does his mighty works in response to the faith of his people. It's not that he couldn't. I mean, he could do whatever he wanted to do. But us having faith in him is so important that he, he keeps them connected. 
Verse 6, and he marveled because of their unbelief. So the passage begins with the people astonished, marveling at his teaching. And then it ends with him marveling, astonished at their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. See, I think that this passage points us toward a vicious cycle that happens just among humans. Okay? First, we grow familiar with Jesus and the things of Jesus to the point that we grow comfortable just basically ignoring them all. Okay? We're so familiar, we begin to just stop believing. Just dismiss the teaching because of our familiarity. Then our unbelief, because of our familiarity, makes it to where Jesus does no mighty works. Because he does his mighty works in correlation with our faith and our belief. Then we grow familiar with Jesus doing no mighty works. Which only breeds a deeper level of unbelief. And eventually we're just dried up husks of Christians who have no more belief in us. And we go to church and it's just a... A thing that we do now, we sing the doxology. Praise God from whatever. Then Matt gets up there and he talks forever, and then we go eat lunch. Familiarity can be so dangerous to us, and we still live in a relatively churchy culture, to where there's lots of folks associated with churches but not all of them necessarily are believers. And it's just so dangerous. It's possible that the longer you remain in the vicinity of Jesus, the less you believe in him. So that each Sunday, you get a little bit harder. You believe a little less. You care a little less. You're astonished a little less. You're bored a little more. Your mind drifts a little more. It matters to you less and less and less. And then he returns. And you're face to face with him. And he he rejects you because you don't believe in him. You're not a follower. You're a pew person. And you say, well, wait, didn't I, Lord, Lord, didn't I do all these things in your name? Didn't I go to church? Wasn't I on the board? And say, I didn't know you. Yeah, you were in my vicinity. Yeah, you may be familiar with me. You may know my works, but I don't know you. Familiarity is so dangerous. How much teaching have you ingested without digesting in your lifetime? How much teaching have you heard that you've ignored from Jesus Christ? And I say you because I want you to feel the pressure of this, but I mean we. I mean, I'm in the same boat. How many sermons have I preached without applying it to my own life? So dangerous. Now, some people probably need more teaching. They don't know much about what Jesus has said. They don't know enough to understand what they read. They need to be taught more. They need to go get into Sunday school. They need to get into a house-to-house group. They need to get into some books, into some discipleship relationships where they can really learn. Others 
may not need any more teaching. They may just need to start actually listening to what they're hearing. To strip away those callous layers of familiarity and let it actually hit the nerves and be true and be real. So I think a solution for some of us, for myself, might not be to take on more teaching, but to slow down. You know, one word believed is better than a thousand words ignored. Maybe just to slow down and try to look at this with fresh eyes like that woman I told you about that recently came to Christ. So I want to close reading to you some of the most familiar passages of Scripture. This is based on research that somebody did that I found. I want to read a couple of these passages to you. I just want you to listen to them like it's the first time you've ever heard it. Okay, you've never heard these words before. Okay? We'll start with Psalm 23. And before I read it, just to get you oriented... What I'm about to read to you is basically a prayer that God wrote down through a person named David to give to you so you'd know how to pray to him and talk to him so you'd know what he's like. Okay, so this is Psalm 23. This is a way that you can relate to God. You can say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Could it be that we could actually live like this? Is that what Jesus has been trying to teach us? All these times we've heard Psalm 23, that we can actually live like well-cared-for sheep under the care of the good shepherd? Let me read you another one. This is Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. Okay, you've never heard this before. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus silenced the Sadducees, don't worry if you don't know who these people are. Right now it's not important. They gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. So somebody's trying to trick Jesus in a public way. Here's the question they ask. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Could it be, is Jesus really teaching that our entire heart, our entire soul, our entire mind is meant to love God? That he's not just meant to be a, um, a garnish? That he is the main event? That 
that is what we're created for? That that's what we're supposed to be about? Now, the familiar Christian says, yeah, I know all that. And I'm going to go on about my week ignoring God, occasionally thinking of him when I'm in a bind. But my work's about my work. My family's about my family. My hobbies are about my hobbies. God's out here. But we're not going to be those familiar, unbelieving people anymore, are we? No. Let me read you another one. Well, actually, let's finish this one. And the second command is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So these are the number one and number two priorities. You know, I've been reading a lot of books lately. I'm, I'm very interested in the subject of like productivity and, um, you know, all that stuff. It might surprise you if you see how unproductive I can be. But I'm, I'm fascinated by the logic of these things and... Um, they all say, you know, you've got to just limit it. You know, one, one book I read was called Essentialism, and it's, it's about just get rid of the non-essentials, focus on the essentials, and then everything else will take care of itself. You know, we instinctively know we can't do it all, and Jesus knows that too, so he gave us the two. Just love God and love people, and you'll be doing it. Everything else will fall under those two headings. So could it be that Jesus actually is looking at you and saying, this is what I want from you. I know you're wondering, what should I do with this job transition or what should I do about this financial problem? Don't worry about that. I want you to love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Could it be that he actually expects us to live by these? It brings to mind another one. My watch band snapped off a while back, so I'm free as a bird up here. I have no idea what time it is. Now, this will be the last one. No, this one and one more. Okay, 1 Corinthians, this is another one of the most famous passages. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Okay, so we're just told that the main thing our whole life is supposed to be about is love. Love God, love people. Here's some more teaching. Love, in case you don't know what that means, how to do it, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, this is profound teaching if we will actually let that settle down to the depths of our hearts. We could, we could munch on this lesson for the rest of our lives, learning what, it, what does it mean to bear all things in love, to believe all things, to give you know, the benefit of the doubt, to hope for the best to endure like these lessons. You, you will never get to the bottom of these lessons, but what we must not do is out of familiarity because we've heard it so many times at weddings and seen it on cards is ignore it. And the last one, since I read the great commandment, I'll read the great commission. Matthew 28.
starting in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Could it be that we're really given such a global assignment to work together as the church to make disciples of all nations? Could it be that there really ought never be a moment of boredom in our lives because we have this great commission flag waving over our heads at all time? This stuff is astonishing. It's glorious. So I have a challenge for you this week. If you are one who regularly reads your Bible, before you open it up, very prayerfully peel off the layers of familiarity and receive it as the, the actual teaching of Jesus Christ for you. And don't dismiss it out of familiarity. If you are not one who reads your Bible regularly, start there. You know, this is our, our daily bread. We need this. It's not enough for Jesus to just be your Lord and Savior and not your teacher. Because if he's not your teacher, I don't think that you really know him. Teaching is so central to who he is. So let's together as a church refuse to allow familiarity to limit our belief. Let's really hear him. Let's really listen to him. Let's really learn from him. And let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for your love toward us, that you are patient and kind, that you endure so much patiently with us as we are so slow to learn these lessons. And I ask for myself and for your people here that you would strip away the familiarity that would hinder our belief in Jesus Christ and his teachings. Lord, let it astonish us again. And let us listen and heed his word. Let us not be hearers only. Let us be doers of his word. And there may be some in, among us here who don't even know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, who, don't, who are not there yet to even understand what we mean by this familiarity that damns. And for those, I pray that you would only make plain to them the gospel, the good news that we're all sinners and we've all failed. But you love the world so much that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, to absorb our sin on the cross, to pay for our penalty, to make a way for us to be forgiven. So that in him, by trusting in him, following him, we can be cleansed and adopted as sons and daughters and welcomed into your kingdom Or may we all march into that kingdom together, joyfully, like little children, following the teachings of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.